Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. How many of you are ready for a new series with less spooky music? I thank you for, uh, you know, uh, bearing with us as we have ominous music to set the scene for the beginning of this message each week. This is the second last message in this series. Next week, we'll conclude First Peter together. I want you to open in your Bibles with me to the book of First Peter. We're going to go to chapter 2 in just a few moments. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, your spirit works in cooperation with your word to speak to us, to reveal your heart, and to move our lives forward. We give you permission to speak to our hearts today. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Really quickly, just for anybody who's maybe merging into our journey right now, why First Peter? What does it mean? What's it got for the original audience of first century Turkey and 21st century Canada. Essentially, the Christians of yesteryear in first century Turkey were facing pressures, the kind of pressures that you and I are somewhat familiar with too, political, social, cultural. And so by the Spirit, Peter writes a letter to them to encourage their faith. Here's the summary statement we've been using for the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is written so that strangers, which is a term that Peter uses often in his writing, strangers, foreigners, aliens, exiles, people that don't fit. 1 Peter is written so that these strangers, these followers of Jesus, could withstand surrounding pressures and win the respect of those who don't know Jesus yet by insisting on continually doing very good things together in everyday life to enemies and the receptive alike. So in the first three weeks of this series, it's as if Peter says, week one, don't forget your citizens, your citizens of another realm. And then the second week, it's as if he says, don't forget that you're aliens. Yeah, you are strangers, exiles, foreigners. You don't really belong here in the way that everybody thinks of belonging, but you can have an impact. You can make a difference. You're citizens, you're aliens, and then last week we looked at this idea of the meaning and the use of the word stone in First Peter, and it's as if Peter was saying, don't forget that you're a temple. You want to withstand pressures? Remember that you're a citizen. You carry a different passport, a heavenly one. Remember that you're an alien here. You won't fit in the way others do. Don't forget that God lives in you. He brings you hope and peace and help, and he moves through you with hope and peace and help. And today, for this fourth message, it's as if Peter is writing to say, don't forget Proximus Maximus. I made that up. I think it sounds kind of impressive, like Latin or something like that. Think of the word proximity and think of the word maximum. I never was into Transformers, but I think this would be like an appropriate name, Proximus Maximus or something. It's, it's God's word over you and I today through First Peter. So turn with me to chapter 2, verse 11. Last week, if you were with us, we actually concluded our primary text in verse 10. So we carry on today from verse 11. And we're going to discover that two verses in chapter 2 actually become the hinge point all the way to the end of chapter 4. So he says this, beginning in verse 11, Dear friends, isn't it nice for strangers to know that they're a friend? That they're, you're not alone. You're not the only stranger, alien, foreigner, exile in this world. You're part of a family who doesn't fit together, and that actually means that we fit together, and we can have influence in our world. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans 
that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This passage, these two verses become a pivot point in this book. It's as if through these two verses, Peter's saying sort of two words. Number one, abstain. Number two, engage. This idea of abstain, he says abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. When we talked about being aliens, we talked about this idea of holiness, that God is holy, and holy is a happy word, it's a good word. He says, be holy for I am holy. So you and I are set apart by God in this world with distinct purpose. So abstain, withdraw, but also engage. It's interesting, certain Christian movements throughout history have just focused on abstain. And they cease to bring the kind of salt and light influence they're intended to in their world. And then there are other movements that have focused only on engage, forget about abstain, and they engage so deeply you can't tell the difference between them and those who are part of Christ. Faith has become twisted. Moral, ethic, essentials have washed and become diluted. So Peter summarizes our call in these two words. Abstain and engage. In one, on one hand, withdraw. On the other, get involved. There's a couple key words that I want to draw your attention to in the text that we just read. There's so many other things that we could unpack, but these are the most important. The first is among. Live such good lives. Could you say this word? Among. Live such good lives among. Proximus. Maximus. Live in proximity to your mission field. Or it's as if Peter's identifying those to whom you are proximate to are your mission field. You will be most effective among those that you see regularly. Why? Because the second word, see. If you see them regularly, who do they see regularly? You. And that's their best opportunity to see Jesus. That's where you and I will be most effective. Some people get a sense that, well, I think I'm, I'm called to do this, and this is my mission field. But they're, they're kind of transporting themselves from one place in a community, and they're parachuting into another once a month or once or twice a year. And it's a wonderful effort, and I don't discourage it. But your opportunity for effectiveness is diminished. Why? Because of lack of proximity. So we have to be conscious of proximity. Why? Because it's not just who we see regularly, it's who's seeing us regularly. Among and see. So what kind of things should our mission field be seeing in and around us? I think Peter knew that after he penned verse 11 and 12, these first followers in first century Turkey were wondering, well, what are we supposed to do with our lives that helps people Understand better who Jesus is and what he's like. So Peter goes on to describe five specific things in the following texts. Areas that our lives have opportunity to bear witness to Jesus so that our mission field, those that we are proximate to, have more opportunity to understand who Jesus is and what he's like. So the rest of chapter 2, all of chapter 3, and if you follow all through chapter 4, you'll find five significant themes that Peter brings up. Sometimes when you're reading devotionally, we just sort of stick to one theme at a time, like, and we're like, okay, how does this speak to me? Sometimes it's helpful actually to step back and look at the whole. So we look at chapter two all the way through four, and we realize, oh, Peter's saying, live such good lives among so that people see, and then he says, here's one, two, three, four, five things to give consideration to, that as you give and live good lives in these five things, your mission field has an opportunity to see Jesus 
better. So what should they see? I want to begin our journey into these five things together. Let's read in verse 13 all the way through to verse 17. Peter begins, number one, by saying this, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every kind of authority instituted among people, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. First of all, Peter is saying you need to give consideration to how you make Jesus visible in society. How you make Jesus visible in society. And this is a touchy one. Peter goes straight for the throat on this one. He's like, how do you feel about your government? And then he says, here's the Christ-like way to handle this. And it makes us uncomfortable. Because I don't know if there's been any audience of the book of 1 Peter since it was sent in the first century that's been like, well, I'm absolutely thrilled 100% with my government all the time. Peter knows that. The Holy Spirit knows that. And so distinct instruction is given to followers of Christ. Here's how you handle yourself when you don't agree or like what's happening in the political world around you. Historian and biblical scholar N.T. Wright says this as he is commenting on 1 Peter. It is part of God's will that his created earth should be ruled and governed by human authorities. Order is better than chaos, even though order can turn into tyranny and frequently does. And though our hatred of tyranny might lead us into the normal kind of revolutionary politics, Peter advocates a different way. It is part of God's... Oh, sorry. Next slide there. I've got the wrong one here in my notes. Serving the true God by living a peaceful, wise, and visibly good life is in the end far more revolutionary than simply overthrowing one corrupt regime and replacing it, well, most likely by another, as history shows. I have to address a common misconception and I know that nobody here would fall for this, but I'm just, maybe it's somebody online today. <laughs> there is not a more Christian political party or a less Christian political party that you can vote for. A political party can't be a Christian any more than a tree can be a Christian, or a bar of soap can be a Christian, or a PT Cruiser can be a Christian. Political parties can't be Christian. And so we have to reduce our expectation on the dark world around us to behave as if it were Christian. Peter gives us clear direction, though. Honor. Now, we know from the rest of Scripture, too, pray. And I think we have a firm biblical foundation to also vote. But we can't buy into the thought that because I've given my vote this way, it's probably because it's the most Christian party. It's not. You can't even put a label on a party, and I know it's happened, and call it Christian, and therefore it's somehow God deems it, okay, actually, when I died on the cross, I also died for that particular political party as well. He didn't. I know that this is uncomfortable territory, but we have to pay attention to scriptural reality here. Perhaps the most uncomfortable thing that Peter says in here is honor. Honor the king. Who is he referring to here? Roman emperors. They held absolute control, absolute control. And they opposed the work of God they had a notorious history for it. And, and as Peter is writing, the Roman emperor of the time and his successor 
are literally working on plans to stamp out a Christian movement through direct persecution, killing Christians if they will not deny Jesus. That's persecution. And Peter's response? Honor. Man, that's uncomfortable. Because it's so easy to follow the way of the world, which is always dishonor when it comes to politics and government. I think Peter, by the Spirit, is instructing us, don't associate with dishonor. Oppose dishonor. And some of you are like, that that seems weird. I kind of want to jump on some of these bandwagons. That's, I think, why Peter's saying, people will think you're strange. How come you're not as up in arms? It's because you and I know that, yes, there are political systems and government realities in our world, but there is someone who's above it all. And no matter what happens on these political realms, it's not going to throw me off because it's not going to throw him off his throne. And I'll be okay. They might kill me for my faith. I'll still be okay. He's still above them. He's on the throne. When we get wound up, it's as if we believed that these political parties are actually on the thrones. They're not. He is. Amen? Okay, let's get out of this point before it gets even more uncomfortable. Number two. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> so he, first of all, he talks about society. Listen to verse 18 through 22. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a person bears up under the pain of, an unjust, of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And the text continues there. Peter is speaking to specific cultural realities at the time. By the way, he's not endorsing slavery in any way. He's just acknowledging there happen to be a lot of new converts who are slaves. And so he says, let's talk about the work world now. If you happen to be a slave right now, here's how you handle yourself. And we know from other New Testament writings, Peter's friend Paul also gives instructions, not just to slaves, but to masters, business people who have staff. And so the way you and I handle ourselves in our work world is part of how we make visible Jesus to co-workers, to superiors, and to subordinates. People that you work with or that work for you are watching your faith. And they can detect if there's greed. They can detect if there's power and control that's being abused. They can detect deceit. They can detect dishonest gain. They also can detect serving. They also can detect caring, honor, love, consideration. And so Peter is saying, hey, don't just watch for how you handle yourself as a member of society. Watch how you handle yourself in the workforce. Because you're among a lot of people. Next to sleeping at home, the place most of us are at most of the time is work. And many of us are working with others. And guess who is trying to piece together a picture of what God might be like? Your coworkers. And their best guess is built upon how you treat them and treat others. They're watching all the time. I heard a story a few years ago about a manager at a company, a committed Christian, passionate Christian, very you know, regular church attender, prayed regularly for his staff, for his coworkers, praying that they would discover and know Jesus, did his best to treat everybody with consideration and care and kindness. And one day in the office, he heard quite a commotion, uh, and there was one of his staff members that you know, maybe some water cooler talk or something like that. He overhears this staff member talking about Jesus. And he thinks, I've never heard this person talk about Jesus. What's going on? He says, okay, tell me, I, I think I just heard you talk about Jesus. He says, yeah, I know, I probably should shut up. It's the workplace. I'm probably not, talk, not allowed to talk about like religious stuff. And like, but I gotta be honest with you. In the last week, I, I have faith in Jesus, 
for the first time ever. I never thought I would do this. And, and it's, it's so alive in me. It's changing my life. And the manager says, that's amazing. I've been praying for you to discover Jesus. And you know what the staff, this is a true story. You know what the staff person said? You're a Christian? You're the main reason I didn't want to come to Jesus. Do you know why? They went on to say, you live such a good life that I thought, you see, there's ways we can live our life really well and not need God. And I think that you and I need to be conscious of our example and also our words. Can people actually detect that we follow Jesus and we're not just another nice Canadian? Third thing Peter goes into, he first brings up society, then he brings up work. Flip over with me to chapter 3. I'm not going to read this text today for the sake of time, but if you read through verse 1 through 7, you see Peter addressing issues of husbands and wives, household realities. Now, spend some time in this text if you want, and you might think, Pastor Mike, this is a nice excuse that you said for the sake of time you're not going into this text because there's some really tricky stuff to stick handle in there, and that's also true. Maybe we'll give time to it another time. But here, let me just summarize what Peter's doing there. Because if you read there, you'll be like, wow, there's some loaded statements from Peter here that we could see some uh, Christians going to extremes this way or others going this way. And how does that work in culture and society? Let me just clarify something briefly for you. Peter is addressing first century cultural realities head on. And secondly... There are stereotypes. You know how we have stereotypes today? There were stereotypes then that were very much alive. And so Peter's going full force at the stereotypes. And that's why in our context today, some of this appears a little more controversial or like, huh? I'm not sure how I totally understand. He's going after specific cultural, stereotypical things that need to be adjusted in that first church world. For our purposes today, We need to just understand he's highlighting the importance of marriage and family relationships. Essentially, he's saying in this text, suppose that a woman could simply be known for who she truly is, not being objectified in some other way. Suppose a man could treat his wife as an equal. And he lobs that at the first century church and to us today. And I think then and now we'd say, well, that would transform relationships. That could actually do a lot of good in society too. His point exactly. How you make Jesus visible at home matters. First, Peter talks about society, then he talks about work, and then he talks about our home lives. Neighbors see and hear. Now, I know some of us live very spread out, and some of us at times live very close to other people, but there's just a reality to pay attention to. The longer you live in a neighborhood, even if it's a spread out one, your neighbors start to pick up things about you. They start to piece together a bit of a story about you. Neighbors see, neighbors hear. Uh, Several years ago, in a particular neighborhood that our family lived in, um, there were larger properties, and... um, There was a lot of turnover in some of the houses, and it became easy for us to discover after we moved into our home that uh, the house directly across the street from us had some shady stuff going on. Didn't take a lot of, uh, you know, rocket science to figure that out. There was just a lot of cars coming and going, quick trips, uh, and there was definitely some stuff being peddled out of that place. Now, one day, um, officers, you know, they would patrol through our neighborhood every once in a while because they knew of that place as well. An officer pulled over somebody a little further up the street uh, who had come out of that property, and clearly word got back to the property across the street from us that the office, an officer was on the street checking on somebody. And so Laura was out mowing our lawn that day, and she couldn't help but notice what was going on across the street as people furiously began ran, running out of the house opened up car doors, opened up a trunk, started throwing things in and also throwing things out, taking panels off of doors, weapons and drugs. 
And Laura's just trying to mow a lawn, you know, like. <laughs> now, what was so sweet of these neighbors, who we were trying to get to know in creative ways, as they sped out extremely fast, they did smile and wave at Laura, <laughs> who, they know was a, who they knew was a witness to everything. Now, I trust you're not peddling drugs or weapons yourself. But the story exists to remind us that our neighbors notice things, don't they? And um, the, uh, me bringing this up isn't to shame any of us. You know, I shudder too to think of times that I've, you know, our neighbors have heard me get frustrated or upset with our kids or something like that. They, they need to know that we're real too. They're going to hear that. But the more, I think, authentic that we follow Jesus in all parts of our lives, not just sort of a Sunday or a small group version of faith, but the Monday through Saturday rhythms of faith too, the more your neighbors are also going to piece together like, yeah, I know that they fight, every family does, but I heard them exchanging words of apology. I heard them exchanging words of forgiveness. I see them finding unity in the midst of it. I think of the example of our former pastor, Dave Postel, who's returned to the community. By the way, right now, he's serving as a, an interim pastor, serving in a sabbatical situation. So he's helping for three months at a different church on the island here. Pastor Dave Postel has had a long-standing great presence in his neighborhood. And I know that his neighbors, through the years, have heard the sounds of their children playing in their backyard and then grandchildren playing in the backyard. And his neighbors were very familiar with the realities associated with his late wife, Barb's suffering and care. And that example of love and service and family has spoken volumes to his neighborhood. What an example for all of us. How you treat your spouse and children matters not only to them, but to neighbors and to the reputation of Christ. None of us are perfect. So don't beat yourself up couple things that we have in our future together. After Easter, we're going to go into a series together called Jesus in the Bedroom and just look at realities of relationship stuff. And while we do that series, we're going to offer at least three sort of pop-up small group experiences for couples who just want, hey, let's just focus on our marriage for a few weeks together. And so in short-term small group experiences, there's going to be an option available that many of you can take part of. It's something every healthy relationship needs. In the future as well, we dream of developing a parent coaching network because parents need help. And we think that scripture and a bunch of the wonderful parents with experience in this room could help others. So Peter is saying, listen, live such good lives among so that they see how you make visible Jesus Christ in society, in work, at home, and then... Chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. You and I are called to make Jesus visible through Christian community, not just community, but Christian community. Here's the reality, and I like to pop this bubble every once in a while. I try to do it early on in our time here with this church family. None of us, no matter how healthy or wonderful our family of origin story was, or our family right now is, none of us have experienced a family setting so wonderful that there was never a difference or a conflict. Every healthy, wonderful family has differences and conflict including the church family. And sometimes we superimpose over the church this idea that, well, you'll be the perfect family, right? And we're not. Definitely not. But the world watches how we handle our differences and difficulties. And we have every opportunity to model ways that include listening, learning, caring, being empathetic, being sympathetic, being honoring, forgiving, apologizing well, trusting, healing. And that makes visible to the world around us 
Jesus in a clearer way. So do we follow the way of the world when there's differences and difficulties? Do we go the way of paybacks and insults? Or do we go the way of Christ? Sympathy, compassion, humility, and blessing. So here's the real question. Peter's clear here. He's talking to Christians. He's like, listen, pay attention to how you treat one another. When there's challenge, when there's difficulty, pay attention to how you handle that because it matters, not just for your own relationships, but to your witness. It matters. Here's the big question. How in the world are people who don't know Jesus yet supposed to see how we handle each other in difficulty and disagreement? It's not about just minding social media conversation and dialogue. It's not that. I think Peter is presupposing. He knows that there are mixed group environments where people who don't know Jesus yet are among people who do. Not just as an occasional visitor, but as a friend who's around often enough to see disagreement and argument and resolution and healing. I'm going to remind you again of something that when I started as your pastor, I promised I'll remind you of this often. Statistics say that the most common way an adult in North America comes to Christ is that they have seven credible Christian friends in their life. It means that you and I need to become even more skilled at making great friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet and inviting them into mixed environments where they can become great friends with your friends who know Jesus. It doesn't happen easily or well in a Sunday setting like this, but it happens really well Monday through Saturday as you're doing other stuff, just normal stuff, fun stuff, mundane stuff, whatever it is, stuff that friends do together. Do that with people who don't know Jesus yet and also invite others who do. I'm really excited about Laura's effort right now. She's through our dog and through just other things, a bunch of uh, new relationships have opened up in her world in our neighborhood. And this last week, she gathered and invited some of those people and some others, Christian friends, together just to hang out for an evening. Why? Well, because friends should get together and friends should do what friends do. But as she does that, she's now increasing the possibility for the ones that don't know Jesus yet to piece together a better story through at least seven one day or more, hopefully, credible Christian friends in their life. Fifthly and lastly, after how we handle ourselves in society, work, home, and Christian community, if you follow through the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4, which we don't have time to get into, we see that Peter is saying a last thing here. Live such good lives among your mission field, those that you are proximate to, so that they will see, you will make visible Jesus to them also in your suffering. Peter gives a lot of attention to suffering through the rest of this book. Why? Because it was all too real for these first Christians. And guess what? It's all too real in your life and mine as well. We're human. We go through painful things. Perhaps the question is, do the people that you are proximate to know you well enough yet? Do you have enough of a friendship with them yet that they know areas of your life that you're experiencing suffering? There's a woman in our church family here who told me a great story a few weeks ago about a neighbor of hers that she had been living next to for years and had been praying for regularly and creatively finding every and any opportunity to be missional, to be intentional, to include them, to invite them, to bear witness to Jesus. And there was just great friendship response, but never like the needle didn't move on the faith thing. They got close, but they never made this commitment to Christ. And maybe you've experienced that too. And by the way, let me just say this. Let's be more committed to a person as a friend than a project. And if they never follow Jesus, love them anyways. That's what we do. They're great people. It's our call. And so she continued to just love this friend and pray for this friend, trusting and hoping and believing that one day they would come to Christ. Then the friend, the neighbor who's become a friend moves. 
So their connection distances, they don't see each other as often anymore. Time passes and she bumps into them one day. And the person says, I don't know if you're going to believe this, but I've started following Jesus. Now, I don't know, if you put yourself in those shoes, you'd be like, yes, what, really? Like, do I get an assist on this? I was hoping to score the goal, you know, like. <laughs> tell, me, tell me, how did you come to faith? And they said to her, you know, one of the things that grabbed my attention, and I never really said it to you while I was your neighbor, but I watched you go through one of the hardest things any human can go through. It crushed you. And man, it gave me something to think about. You see, for this woman in our church who went through horrid, painful suffering, there was a friend in their life who did not know Jesus yet, who observed the suffering and was confronted with this thought. There must be a Jesus. Let me quickly just read to you how chapter 4 begins and ends, and then a beautiful text in chapter 2. Chapter 4 begins this way, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. It ends this way, So then those who suffer according to God's will, by the way, that language doesn't mean that God's up in heaven planning suffering everywhere. He's just got his salt and pepper suffering shaker that he's just, okay, you get a bunch, you get a bunch, you get a bunch. No, it's if you are following a life according to his will, suffering is a reality that occurs for all of us. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and then what? Pout, complain. I mean, it's so tempting for me to do. No. And continue to do good. Wow. Chapter 2, verse 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What an example we have from Jesus. Jesus suffered differently. Don't you think that if you were in Jesus' shoes and the religious world and the political world conspired together to pin you to a cross and kill you. Don't you think you'd want to fuss about that? Don't you think if you had the opportunity to speak to Pontius Pilate, you'd be like, okay, finally, I've got a few things to say. And Jesus suffered differently. And guess who else suffers differently in this world? Those of us who follow him. So I want us to notice something. As you think about these five arenas, these five environments, society, work, home, Christian community, and suffering, where is mission happening? Where is it happening? Well, it seems to be happening in everyday life. It seems to be happening in society. It seems to be happening in the workplace. It seems to be happening in the neighborhood. It seems to be happening in home. Not once does Peter say, and when you're in your church services, when you're together on Sundays, now, it's assumed that we'll be together, but he knows. Sundays is a gathering of strangers. When we do our strange things, like drink our little meal and eat our little bread and, and uh, put people in the hot tub under the drum kit and, and we lift our hands and we're, it's all the weird stuff that we do together. Why? Because this is a gathering of believers and we need encouragement from another, one another and we need to encounter the Spirit of God together. We need training from the Word of God to equip us for another week on mission together. And then off we go into our week together on mission. Why work? Why neighborhood? Why home? Why? Because that's where you're most visible. That's where you're among. That's where people can see. That's where it's real for people. You know those moments where you're, 
you see somebody who's maybe got a little bit of celebrity, but you get, you get to peek into their personal life just a little bit. I remember being on the ferry a couple of years ago, and a former NHL player was on there with his family. And it was just so fun. You know, me and the boys were like spying and like, wow, he plays with his kids. That's crazy. <laughs> Why do we like that? Why does that matter? Because we, we only see a little bit, but when you get proximate for a moment, you're like, oh, wow. They actually really do. Da, 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 da. And people have an idea out there of what a Christian might be like, but then they have you in their life. And they don't want just sort of this plastic version of faith from you. They want raw, authentic, real. But it speaks to them. My goodness, does it speak. You will be most effective among those you are with regularly. Who do you see regularly who doesn't know Jesus yet? Who do you see on a weekly basis or a daily basis? Four important questions for you as we bring our time toward a conclusion. Number one, do I realize that God has called me to the people I am in close proximity to? Number two, do I spend regular time with these people, sobering and worth thinking about? Not just around them, but do I spend time with them? It was one of our neighbor's birthdays this week. Laura had the great idea, let's pick up flowers for her. So me and the girls dropped off flowers. And I wanted it to just be sort of ring the doorbell, give the flowers, and off we go, because there was something really exciting we were about to leave as a family and go to. But they wanted to chat, and I had to remember in that moment, this is a chance to be with them, not just do something to them. Do I spend regular time with these people? Number three, am I too busy to develop meaningful friendships with these people? If yes, and I think for many of us it is yes, we need to adjust things in our schedule. Number four, since none of us are perfect in this, are we at least willing to grow? God, you could use me. God, I'm willing to adjust things in my schedule so that I can be more accessible to people who don't know you yet. Really quickly, Proximus Maximus. How do we maximize things? If you're like, I don't even know where to begin, here's 10 things very quickly. I'm just going to burst through these fast. Here's 10 things. Pick one of these. Try it this week. Just see what you can do. I love it when I put these things up here. All these phones go up. I should just, you know, all smile as well. Um, number one, plan fun social things with mixed groups. Number two, eat with people who don't know Jesus yet. Guess what? They have a mouth and they love food too. Eat with them. Number three, hobby with people who don't know Jesus yet. We have friends who retired and when they did, they're like, we're going to take up pole walking. We feel we're too young for it. We feel like we shouldn't, but we feel like it's an opportunity. We feel like we're going to look like we're trying to ski on land, and that's going to look weird, but there's going to be a group of people we'll get to know, and they did it, and they've had a wonderful success in getting to know people in their community over the last number of years and bringing them to an experiences of Jesus. Number four, help in your neighborhood. Look for opportunities and just help out. Lend a hand. Number five, be front yard present. It goes against cultural norms, but try it. In one neighborhood that our family lived in for several years, we decided weekly we would move our barbecue from our back porch to the front yard and do a front yard barbecue through the summer months. It was so inconvenient to move a barbecue down a set of stairs. With, it was, I hated it. My fingers bled every week. But we met so many neighbors who'd walk by and be like, hey, you want to eat something too? Oh, yeah, okay. Try some front yard stuff. Six, bring over baking. Seven, walk, don't drive. Eight, be a regular. Get to know some of the names of people that you're a regular at. Number nine, this is a stretch for some of us, but give it a try. Talk to your coworkers. Talk with them. Number 10, if there's lunch breaks, some of us, it's like, oh, this is my holy time where I can finally get my mind. Could you once a week eat with a coworker? Here's 10 things. Maybe you can identify one. I want to quickly tell you about one thing that we're going to try together as a church family. We can put up the next slide. Don't take pictures of it. You can if you want to. Neighborhood dinner parties. This year, we want to help organize on your behalf several neighborhood dinner parties that happen through our church community. We're going to find several host homes in our church and then connect you with others that go to our church that live nearby you so that this spring you can just have a dinner party together. And then maybe this summer you have another dinner party and we'll help with this and you invite some of the common mission people. You're like, hey, you know what? Two streets down. Yeah, I know those people too. Maybe they'd come to a barbecue that we host this summer. So let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. Let's stand together. We're going to close by singing a song that we sung 
earlier today. This idea of we need a move. There was a line that really grabbed me as we were singing it. It's, it's this, we are here for you. We're here for you. In Matthew chapter 21, some of you might remember me talking about this years ago. Matthew chapter 21, there's this, it's the triumphal entry. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, and there's this beautiful language that says the whole city was stirred. And they had a question, who is this? I don't know about you, but when I think of the Comox Valley, when I think of my neighborhood or your neighborhood, I love the idea of them being stirred and them having this question, who is this? Because the answer is, it's Jesus. So what was one of the keys in Matthew chapter 21? How did Jesus get in there? You know what, if you follow the story, it's really simple, it's really Sunday schooly. but man, it speaks to me every time. There were a couple donkeys that were willing and available and carried the presence of Jesus into their city. Donkeys are notoriously stubborn, but these ones gave their willingness to God. I think if they could sing, they might say, we're here for you. Let's be honest, you and I have a lot more in common with donkeys than we care to admit. But maybe there's hope for you and I that we'd say, God, I don't know how to do this mission thing well in my neighborhood or my workplace or wherever you are called. But I could say to you, Jesus, I'm here for you. And I'd love to carry your presence in and among so that hopefully people are stirred and they're like, who is this? And the answer isn't me. The answer is him. So let's sing this together as a declaration and a prayer.
close by praying for you. As I do, we're gonna put on the slide for coffee clubs. Again, those of you who, I mean, you're welcome to take a picture of it. It's available on our website tomorrow. You can find these discussion guide notes then also. I wanna pray for you now. Would you put your hand over your heart if you're willing to right now? Father, we need a move. We need a move of your spirit. The reality is all these things that we've talked about, we could put our best efforts into it. We could even move into a legalistic world of mission and that wouldn't be right either. We need a move of your spirit in our lives, in our hearts, as we welcome this. As we go into your world on your mission, we again declare our dependence upon you. Forbid it, Lord, that we eat from the tree of independence this week. May we follow you on your mission into this world. Bless each home, each heart, each life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. I hope to see many of you back tonight at 6.30 for our worship and prayer night. Tonight, times of lingering prayer, prayer ministry, lingering worship. It's going to be a great time together, also available online. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.